You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Uh, You know, that's the reason why we sing. One of the reasons why we sing is so that uh, we can be reminded that God is is at the center of our world, that God is seated on the throne, that God has victory, and that this life isn't about us, but it's about Him. And so you had a week this week that some of you want to forget. Well, let this day be a reminder and a reset for you that next week can be even better, right? That's why we sing. That's why we gather like this today. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. How many of y'all have plans? Two, three, four, about ten of y'all. Good. Nice. Hopefully you got the hot dogs marinating right now. Because that's what you do with hot dogs. You marinate them. (laughs) Who does that? Man. Hey, has there ever been a a time in your life where uh, you found yourself in a situation and somebody said something and you responded with, "Eh." You know? Like... Like, I don't know if you said it out loud or maybe you just kind of said it in your head, but they said something and you responded and just said, eh. here, you, you give it a shot. Go ahead and say it. Yeah, yeah. just like that. It's like, eh. and, and the reason why you say that is because somebody says something and you're like, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. Like, you, eh. like you said this, but it doesn't really mean that. And I don't think you meant to say this. I think you meant to say something else. Like, like you're, you're talking with somebody and they say, man, I had the most extreme headache last week. Like, my head literally exploded. Eh. I, don't, I don't know if you meant to say literally there because I don't think you know what literally actually means because I'm literally looking at your head and still on your shoulders. I don't think it literally exploded, right? Or, or, or you're talking with somebody and they use the word irregardless. Eh, I don't think you meant to use irregardless because there's a double negative in there and it kind of cancels out. Really, the word you should use is regardless. Stop using irregardless. Like it's in those moments, somebody says something, you're like, I don't think you really, I, I think you're a little confused here. Like somebody says, um, well, that's why, that's why you can't read the Bible in school. That's why you can't pray in school. That's why you shouldn't talk about politics in church because of the separation of church and state. Eh, not really, because that's not really what that means. See, the separation of church and state isn't a phrase that's found in our Constitution. It's actually a phrase that Thomas Jefferson used when he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, and he used it in a letter explaining to them that the United States wouldn't sanction a state religion. Like England had the Church of England, and that was the sanctioned state religion. It was the official religion of England. And so what he was explaining is that the United States isn't going to say, here's our official religion. The separation of church and state has nothing to do with talking about politics in church or talking about God at your work or anything like that. So when somebody says, oh, it's a separation of church and state, I just want to be like, eh, it's not really what you're saying, right? Or, or how about this? Somebody, somebody uh, spreads some news about somebody else and they say, well, I'm just venting. Eh, is that what the kids are calling it these days? Venting? Because that's gossip to me, right? When you spread news about somebody else and they don't know it, that's gossip. And here's, here's what gossip is, just so you know. Gossip is when you talk to somebody about something that they can't fix, right? So you got a problem with Joe and you're talking to Carol about it. Like, Carol can't fix Joe, but you know who can fix Joe? 
Joe. And so if you got a problem with Joe, you need to go to Joe and talk to Joe about Joe, not to Carol. That, that's gossip. Gossip sounds like this. Hey, did you hear? Hey, so what's going on with Owen Joe? And gossip always has this malicious intent. And the problem with gossip is that you only get one side of the story, right? How many of you know there's three sides to every story, right? There's your side, their side, and then the truth. So it's somewhere in there. But when you gossip, you're just getting one side of the story and you're getting somebody on your side to agree with you. And again, sometimes you say, well, I'm just venting. Eh, listen, if you want to vent, go vent to the wall, okay? Just let it out to something that's not going to matter. But when you talk to somebody about somebody else, it's, that's gossip. And here's the thing. You should never listen to gossip. You should just shut it down right away. If somebody's talking to, some, to you about somebody else, just say, hold on, they're not here. Let's go ahead and call them and let's talk to them. And if they have a problem with that, you know, it's gossip. If they're just trying to seek advice on how to approach somebody, sure, do that. But, but sometimes we, we say, well, it's venting, but eh, no, not really, it's gossip. There's, there's another thing that we sometimes get mixed up. And um, it's, it's a difference between two words. Uh, now, these words are pretty similar. They start with the same prefix, con, C-O-N. And sometimes they're used interchangeably in our justice system. Uh, but sometimes we use one word and we get it mixed up for the other. And the words that I'm talking about are convicted and condemned. Convicted and condemned. See, sometimes we think this is one of the same, but these two words aren't synonyms. And sometimes we say, well, I just feel so condemned. Actually, you don't say that phrase. You say this. Well, I feel so judged. Sometimes we say, well, I felt so judged. I went to that one church and they judged me. Uh, somebody comes to you and they bring correction and they try to help you with something. And you say, don't judge me. Or the Bible says, don't judge. Or only God can judge me. Eh, not really. Like, I want to dig a little deeper into that because there's a difference here. And, and sometimes people say, well, don't judge me. But the truth is the scriptures say that we should judge one another. That if you're a Christian, you should judge other Christians, not in a way to condemn them, not in a way to tear them down or bring them, bring them down, but in a way to help them and to help change the action that you see in their life. And so today, I want to, I want to dig in on the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction and condemnation, because if you're a Christian, it's vital for you to understand the difference between these two. If you're not a Christian, it's even more important that you understand the difference between conviction and condemnation, because if you get it, then this will change everything in your life. And so as we continue this series, Now New, I want to preach from this title. If you would take a moment to write it down. The title for my sermon is this, Convicted, Not Condemned. Convicted, Not Condemned. Now, conviction is this. Conviction is when I'm found guilty. Conviction is when I'm found lacking or wanting. And so uh, you go to court for grand theft auto charges, right? And uh, they, they present to the court, ladies and gentlemen, the jury would like to present that this person is guilty of grand theft auto. And then they show the video of you stealing the car. The, the jury goes, they deliberate, they come back and they say, we have found uh, you guilty of grand theft auto. You have now been convicted of a crime. That's conviction, is to be found guilty, to be found lacking or wanting. And then there's condemnation. Now, condemnation is the punishment. Condemnation is the labeling of who you are. So we have convicted you of the crime. You are found guilty of that. And now you're condemned to spend 25 years in prison. Condemnation is the penalty and the judgment against you. 
So conviction is a declaration. It's, it's being found guilty, lacking, wanting. Condemnation is the penalty and, and the label of who you are. And so you are now a felon. You go to jail, you come back, you're still considered a felon even though you've done your time. But now this is just a label that's with you. You are now condemned for life. So conviction, condemnation. Here's, here's some examples. Uh, I may feel convicted that I didn't study hard enough. I feel bad about that. I feel guilty about that. That's not a bad thing to feel guilty if it leads to conversion. By the way, conviction is a catalyst that always leads either to conversion or condemnation. Are you with me? Do, can y'all see to write notes? Do we have the lights up enough for you? Is that cool? I just want to make sure that you're getting this down. Can we bring the lights up just a little bit so people can take notes? No. So, conviction is a catalyst that will lead either to conversion or condemnation. Conversion is to be changed, to be drastically, radically altered. Um, So I can feel convicted about my study habits, and that conviction can lead me to convert what I actually do, where I study harder now and I'm going to pass the test. Or that conviction can lead to condemnation, where I say, well, I'm just stupid, I'm no good, I'll never get this done. Right? I can feel convicted about my smoking addiction, and that can lead me to conversion where I say, I'm going to change this, I'm going to set some boundaries, I'm going to do some things differently and overcome this addiction, or it can lead to condemnation, I'm just too weak, I'll never overcome this, I'll always be a victim of this. Conviction leads to conversion, a change in my life, or it can lead to condemnation where I put myself down, I label myself, and I pay the penalty for my wrongdoing, Right? So, conviction and condemnation. The goal is to allow our conviction, the guilt that we feel, the truth of who we are, lead us to be converted, to be changed, to do something different. Not condemnation where we put ourselves down and we feel bad and we wallow and become a victim. Do you see the difference? So, conviction and condemnation. Now, Conviction is when someone comes to you about some hypocrisy in your life and they bring it up in order to help you change. Now, the way that you receive that is dependent on your humility or pride factor. If you embrace humility and somebody comes at you in love, by the way, that's a key, somebody comes at you in love, you, you want to help somebody, you go to them in love, you don't go to them tearing them down and telling them about themselves, but you go to them in love and you say, hey, listen, I've noticed this in your life, um, these are just some of the actions, some of the things I've seen, I want to point it out to you, and I want to see, what do you think about it, how can I help you with this? That's someone trying to bring conviction in your life, right? It's not, you're such an idiot, you do this, I can't believe, that's condemnation, and we'll talk about condemnation in a moment. But when somebody comes to you to bring about hypocrisy, don't automatically respond with, don't judge me. No, no, no. They're they're not judging you. They're trying to help you because they're coming to you in love. And so they come to you bringing this conviction and the question is, how will you receive it? Will you receive it and say, thank you for that correction and let it lead you to conversion? Or will you put up your defenses and say, I don't want to hear it. You're condemning me and not receive anything from it. By the way, I just want to let you know that wise people heed correction. Wise people heed correction. I mean, that's what the proverb writer wrote when he said this, Proverbs 23, 9, don't waste your breath on fools, for they will despise the wisest advice. That's why you, 
you don't even say something to somebody. Because you know some people in your life, you're like, I ain't even saying nothing. Because I know if I said something to them, they are not going to hear it anyway. Right? Why is, why is people heed correction? Don't waste your breath on fools. I mean, and you've tried. I've tried to say something. I've tried to help them. And you try out of love. You really mean it, but they just don't. They just do their own thing. Don't waste your breath on fools. They'll despise the wisest advice. Proverbs 15, 32. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Kids, are you listening to this? Come on. Here's the thing. Kids, your parents went through that too. They did. Now, maybe not exactly like you're going through it, but they went through it too. They went down that road. They know what they're talking about. And here's the thing. Kids, your parents were alive before you were. (laughs) Right? They were alive before you were. So they've been around for a little longer. It might mean that they know a little something. And maybe you could save yourself some heartache, heartbreak, and destruction in your life by just listening. Just listening. And if you don't want to listen to your parents, kids, that's cool. Just say, I'm a fool. I mean, that's what the proverb writer says. Don't waste your breath on fools. And some of y'all parents, you're like, that's why I don't talk to my kids. Because they're fools. They're not going to listen anyway. I'll let them learn the hard way. But there's a difference. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And we need to understand because here's why. One leads to life. The other leads to death. We need to know the difference between conviction and condemnation because one is something we should listen to. The other is something we should turn a deaf ear to. One comes from God. The other is not of God at all. And we need to know the difference between conviction and condemnation in our life. Especially if you're a Christian. Now, the most famous verse in all of scriptures is John 3.16. This is where there's commentary that's given about Jesus. And John writes this. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And this is good news, that God loves you. God is for you, not against you. He loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. Jesus willingly became a sacrifice for you and for me. So that if we would just follow him, if we would just give him our life, if we would just let him be the ransom payment for our sin like he came to be, then we could be saved. We could have relationship with God. We could enter into the true life God created for us. This is good news. Verse 17 continues the good news. Because here's what it says in John three seventeen, That God's son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to judge us. Jesus didn't come to punish us. But he came to save us. To convict us to a point where we say, I need God in my life. I'm not good on my own, and I need a Savior. I need God's forgiveness. I need his mercy. I need him to pour his joy into me. And because of that, I want to be converted. I want to be changed. I want to become now new so that I could have relationship with God. This is why Jesus came. And, and some of you may have this understanding of God. When you think of God, you think of him as standing in condemnation against you. That, that he remembers your past, he remembers your sins, he remembers your mistakes and mess ups, and he stands in condemnation, and he's just waiting to strike you with a lightning bolt. But this isn't what John three sixteen and 17 says. It says that Jesus came into this world, not to condemn us, not to show us how bad we are, 
Not to say what's wrong with you. Not to say I'm going to punish you, but to say I've come to save you. And to give you a brand new life. And some of you know the grace that God's poured out on you. If it weren't for God, you don't know where you'd be. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. I've come to save you. And here's the thing, Jesus didn't just talk about this, but, but he lived it. He demonstrated it in his life. And I think one of the best demonstrations of, of Jesus not condemning someone is found in John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there. John chapter 8. And um, what happens is, and, 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 we'll have the words from the screen a, a bit later. But what happens is, Jesus is at Jerusalem, and he's at the Jewish temple. He's there in the outer courts. And this mob of religious leaders come to the temple with this half-naked or naked woman in tow. And they're bringing her, and they bring her right in front of Jesus. This woman caught in her guilt and her shame. Uh, Again, barely clothed. They're not clothed at all. They bring her in front of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we found this woman in the act of adultery. We caught her. She was sleeping with somebody who wasn't her husband. Now, I don't know how they caught her. I mean, I I have never happened upon that. Like, I don't know if they're just walking by and they hear noises from a house and they're like, let's see what's going on. Or if they just stage this and they're like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to trap this woman. I I have no idea how you catch someone in the act of adultery, but, but evidently they do. And, and they rush in and they grab her. Most likely she doesn't have time to get dressed. And that's why she's there in her shame, in her nakedness. They bring her in front of everyone and they say, she's been caught in the act of adultery. The difference between that woman and you and I is her sins are exposed to everyone to see. See, before you stand in judgment against her, well, I can't believe and why would she? And just, just the difference between her and us is her sins are now exposed to everyone to see. What if your sins were exposed for everyone to see? See, this, this woman, she's caught, she's brought to Jesus and they say, uh, the law of Moses in the Old Testament, demands that we stone her, demands that we throw rocks at her until she dies. What do you say, Jesus? Now, before you, before you start to, to check out or, or, or make reasons about why you don't, see, see, maybe you say, see, that's the problem I got with God. That's the problem I got with the Old Testament. That's the problem I got with this whole thing is that these people are there and, and, and God says to kill people for stuff like this. What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would, would say, if you find somebody committing adultery, kill them? I mean, she just cheated on somebody. Does she really deserve to die? Maybe say, that's the problem I got with God. But d- just stop because, again, you and I are just like that woman. And we deserve the same punishment. We deserve the same penalty. And maybe you say, there's nothing I've done that bad that, that makes me deserve death. But the scriptures would say contrary. Because in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And the truth is, each and every one of us have been guilty of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is everything we've done to say, God, I want to follow my way instead of your way. God, I believe my way is better than your way. And what the scriptures teach us is that the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is, right? A wage is something you earn. You work for something and you work and you earn money. Those are your wages, What this means is that the thing we earn because of our sin is death. And death is simply separation. It's separation of life from the body. And so uh, spiritual death is separation of us from God. 
Our sin separates us from God. We can have nothing to do with the holy God because he's sinless, he's pure, he's perfect. And when we sin, when we rebel against him, we become stained with our sin and we can no longer have relationship with him. This is why Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God, to take our sin on himself and and give us his perfection so that we could have a relationship with God. But you and I are in the same spot as this woman. Actually, Romans explains this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And maybe you hear that and you're like, man, that's harsh. Eh, you sure about that, God? Because I'm pretty good. No, all of us me included, have been stained with sin and our sin separates us from God. Our sin gives us the penalty of death. And you gotta get this. You gotta understand this because if you come to a point where you think, you know, no, I'm pretty good. I mean, sure, I mess up, sure, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. If you think that, you're gonna miss the power of what happens in this story. See, the truth is, each and every one of us is stained with sin. Each and every one of us is deserving of this punishment, this penalty of death. And this is why God's grace is so great. See, these these guys, they bring this woman to Jesus and they say, the law of Moses said we need to kill her. What do you say? And now Jesus is kind of in a bind here because he has two options. He he could say, well, um, don't kill her. He, He could appeal to mercy. He can say, don't, don't do that. But, but if he does that, then he goes against the word of God. He goes against the law of Moses and he loses his authority as, as a rabbi. And people don't follow him and, and, and his ministry is done. Or he, he could say, yeah, go ahead and kill her. But then where's the mercy in that? I mean, Jesus came not to condemn us, but, but to give us life. And he says, yeah, go ahead and kill I mean, Jesus is stuck. What does he do? But how many of you know that Jesus doesn't give in to dumb dichotomies? But Jesus doesn't say, no, it's not either or, uh, but I got a third way. I got another option. Jesus says, you're right, she deserves to die, but before you condemn her, before you carry out the punishment, uh, let's, let's see who should be her executioner. How about this? She is guilty. She's been convicted of the crime. So she's convicted, and now you want to condemn her. So if we're going to condemn her, let the person who's perfect throw the first stone. Let the person who's never sinned throw the first stone at her. How about that? And here's, here's what John records in John chapter 8 about when they heard this. It says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. See, the people who wanted to throw the stones realized that they had some sin in their life. They realized that they weren't perfect either. And they realized, I'm not in a place to condemn other people. Man, did you hear what I just said? They realized, I'm not in a place to condemn other people. If they realized that 2,000 years ago, when will you realize that? I'm not in a place to condemn other people. Because I got some stuff in my life. I've done some stuff too. I'm guilty just like the person I want to condemn. They realize I got no place to condemn her. And so those who heard, they began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. You know why the older ones left? Because they had done more stuff. They, they knew. They knew their laundry list was longer than everybody else. 
until only Jesus was left and the woman was still standing there. Now there's Jesus and this woman. Jesus, the son of God, the man who lived a perfect life, a life we can't live. A life, a, a, a man who was in a position to condemn her. If anybody could throw a stone at her, it was Jesus because he had never done anything wrong. He lived a sinless life. So now here's this woman and her nakedness and her shame and her disgrace standing before the one who could rain down wrath on her. And here's what it says. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And here we go. The one who could condemn her. The one who could throw a stone. Looked at her and he said, I don't condemn you either. I won't punish you either. And then, and then he says, go and leave your life of sin. This woman has already been convicted. She's been found guilty, lacking, wanting. She deserves punishment, but Jesus gives her grace. The opposite of what she deserves. And you and I know from our own experience that this moment of conviction had to have led to her conversion. Because when you experience grace that grace, grace that great, it changes you. This woman was laid bare in all her nakedness and shame. She should have been condemned, but she was told, I don't condemn you either. Go leave your life of sin, and I just got to believe that she did. I just got to believe that she left, and as she was on her way, still, I mean, people were like, cover your eyes, Johnny, and, you know, and she's, and people were like, what happened to you? And imagine she's just like, you'll never believe it. I met the most amazing person ever. I was laid naked bare with all my shame there and he didn't condemn me. He could have condemned me, but he gave me grace. He gave me forgiveness. You'll never believe it. I'm a changed woman because of what I've experienced. That's what grace does. It changes you. She was convicted and I just have to believe that her conviction led to her conversion because that's what conviction will do if you receive it well. It will lead to your conversion. It will lead you to change and be different. And here's the thing. Conversion always follows conviction. Conversion cannot happen without conviction. See, um, conviction, it has to be personal, right? You won't change based on my conviction for you. Right? The drug addict won't give up drugs because you're convicted. You see what I'm saying? Because you feel bad about it. This is why it's so frustrating trying to help people who don't want to help themselves. Because you've tried to help some people and they don't want to change. The reason is because you're more convicted about what they're doing than they are. And so you try your best. But conviction has to be personal. It has to start with you. When you get so convicted that you say, enough is enough. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something about it. That's when you follow through. See, you were convicted about your weight or what you saw in the mirror, and because you were so convicted, you converted your eating habits and physical activity. It started with you, though. You were convicted about sweatshop labor in the world, so because of that, you converted your buying habits. It had to, it had to hit you deep down inside, and you say, this is not right. I'm going to change what I do. You were convicted about how you were treating your wife, and so you converted your attitude and behavior toward her. For some of you, your marriage, the way for it to get better is just one conviction away. You just got to get convicted enough where you say enough is enough, I'm changing. Right? 
You were convicted about how your life was a whirlwind of activity and everything was a blur. And because of that, you converted your lifestyle to slow down, to say no to more, to unplug from your phone and observe a Sabbath once a week, taking a day off. Talk to people all the time. I'm so busy. Things so, I'm so stressed out. Things so crazy. And I say, you got to take a Sabbath. You got to take a Sabbath. Well, I never could. Fine. Keep going until you have a breakdown. Then you'll be convicted enough to finally convert. See, sometimes we know what we need to do. We just aren't convicted enough to actually do it. Right? See, you were, you were convicted about wanting to give more and, 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 so that you could use God's money for God's things, but you couldn't because you had MasterCard and Priority Chevrolet and Cox Cable. So you converted to living below your means, paying off your debt, buying cars with cash and cutting your cable. See, conversion is always followed by conviction. Conviction comes first and then comes conversion. And again, it has to be personal. I believe God has been convicting you about some things in your life to change. And the question is, when will you finally take it seriously and do it? Because when you take it seriously, when you take that conviction and allow it to change you so that you move to conversion, your life will be so much better. You'll start living on the, on the level God has called you to. You'll start experiencing the true life God has laid out for you. And so conviction isn't a bad thing. Conviction is a great thing because it leads to conversion. But then there's condemnation. And, and you got to know when to spot condemnation. Because condemnation isn't something we should listen to. Condem- if, if conviction brings about change, condemnation leaves us stuck where we are. If conviction takes us up, condemnation digs us deeper in despair. And so I want to help you understand condemnation. And I want you to know where condemnation comes from. Condemnation is a tearing down, it's accusation, it's labeling, and it's punishment. And condemnation comes from your enemy, the devil. I, I, I talked about the devil last week. If you have questions about that, you can go back and listen to that podcast. But condemnation comes from your enemy, the devil. Here's how Jesus said it in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation will kill your joy, It'll steal your peace. It'll destroy your life if you give in to condemnation. Some of you have given in to the, con- in, into the condemning words that your parents spoke about to you so many years ago. And you still live from that identity. Your parents said you were no good. You would never amount to anything. You would X, Y, Z. And you're living in that identity now. You've bought into that condemnation. Condemnation comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me, let me show you how our enemy is described in Revelation 12.10. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. The source of condemnation comes from your enemy and your enemy is called an accuser. You can tell when condemnation is coming at you because it sounds like accusation. Did you know God never accuses you of anything? Did you know that? He never accuses you of anything. But he calls you loved. He calls you his child. He calls you to greatness. Only your enemy accuses you of things. And you can tell when condemnation is coming at you because it sounds a lot like accusation. And here's the thing. Your enemy will use you to condemn you. Your enemy, the way that he condemns you is he starts whispering things to you. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be good enough. You... Why are you surprised you broke up? You'll never be in a relationship with somebody who really loves you. 
of course, of course you failed. Because you're a failure. That's who you are. That's what you do. You think, no, no. And, and, and here's the thing. Condemnation starts with the enemy whispering to you. But after a while, you'll hear it so much that you'll start to say it to yourself. And then the enemy says, cool, I can step away and go work on somebody else. Because he doesn't need to condemn you anymore because you start condemning yourself. Can I just ask you what lies you've been believing that you've been telling yourself? Because if it comes in the form of accusation, those are lies the enemy sold you at a discount. And you bought it. And you continue to tell yourself that. It's time to break free. Because God, your heavenly father, doesn't come to accuse you. He comes to call you to greatness. And if the things you're believing, the accusations you're buying into are prohibiting you, inhibiting you, limiting you, then it's time to say, no more will I listen to the lies of the devil, even if I'm telling them to myself, no more. So Satan will whisper accusations to you and he'll get you to whisper them to yourself so that you, now if anybody else said this stuff to you, you wouldn't hear it. But you hear it because you're saying it to you. But Satan will also use other people to condemn you, to to judge you, to accuse you. And again, you got to know the difference between someone who's bringing conviction and condemnation. When someone brings condemnation to you, when they bring accusation to you, that's exactly what it sounds like, accusation. And it's not to lift you up, it's not to make you better, it's not to help you, but it's really to tear you down and to hurt you. And you can't, you get... You gotta develop some thick skin because not everything everybody says that's bad is condemnation. You just gotta understand the difference. See, when somebody comes to you in love to correct you, you should receive that. When somebody comes to tear you down and not build you up, don't receive it at all. And some people say, well, you can learn from everybody. Yeah, that's true, and maybe, but, eh, because here's the thing. People say, well, you just got to chew on it a little bit and you can get, you can get anything from, but, but I'm not, I'm not going to wade through a dumpster to try and find the good stuff in it, right? I'm just going to not, I'm not even going to deal with it. And so here's, here's how you can tell if somebody has your best interest. Here's, here's the criteria I have in my life because I don't give everyone the same access in my life. By the way, you shouldn't give everyone the same access in your life. Not everybody should be able to speak with the same weight and authority in your life. So you give people weight and authority as to how they're going to speak into your life based on criteria you set. Here's a criteria I've set. Because again, not everybody has your best interests in mind. Not everybody loves you. Not everybody cares about you. But here's a criteria I've set. I will listen to somebody. I'll give weight to their words if, number one, they love Jesus. And they show it and they live it out. So if you love Jesus, you show it and live it out, I'll listen to you. Number two, they love this church and they live it out. I'll listen to you. Number three, you love me and you live it out. Because if you line up with all three of those things, you love Jesus, you love this church, and you love me... I know you want what's best for me. Because if you love Jesus, I know you're going to come to me in love. And you're going to come to me in the right way. If you love this church by showing it, by, by giving, by serving, by taking ownership in this church, I know you want what's best for this thing that I launched and I'm leading, right? If, if you love me, 
then I know that you're going to come to me in humility and love and ultimately want what's best for me. So those are the three criteria that I look at. Now, strangers who have criticism, I don't listen to because I don't know you. You don't know me. You can't speak into something you don't know. Do you understand? That's why you shouldn't get mad at that troll on Twitter who said whatever they did to you. Don't give them that access. Block. Done. Right? Because people can love you and lift you up and praise you and all this stuff. And then one person you don't even know who doesn't even care about you says some negative thing on Facebook and it ruins your whole day. Don't give that access. Block. Done. Because, 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 because you can't give everybody the same access in your life. I got a wife who loves me. I got a mom and dad who love me. I got kids who love me. I got a staff who loves me. I have surrounded myself with people who I know love me and care about me. I know they love Jesus. I know they love this church. I know they love me. And I listen to them and I allow them to speak into my life and I listen to that. And those are the people that I give the most weight to when it comes to their words. You got to develop the same thing for you. Make sure that you have people who you know love Jesus and love you who are speaking into your life and speaking life to you to help you become better. Because God comes not to condemn us but to convict us so that we can be converted. In the same way, allow the people in your life to surround you not to condemn you but to convict you so that you can become converted. Y'all see what I'm saying? Here's the picture that I love in the scriptures and I'll end with this. It's found in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. And this is an amazing picture where the prophet Zechariah speaks about a vision he sees. And uh, this really is an image of what God does for us. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Again, your enemy the devil does nothing but accuses you. He stands to accuse to tear you down to disrupt you. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? By the way, that's what each and every one of us are, burning sticks snatched from the fire. Because we were on our way to hell, but then God plucked us off the path to hell and put us on the highway to heaven. We are a burning stick snatched from the fire. And here's the thing, if you've been snatched from the fire, you can't stay silent. You gotta go tell other people because they're the same way and you gotta snatch them from the fire. That's why, that's why you can't, you can't, you can't make it your, your, your way that you operate where you just come to church alone. We gotta bring people because we got some good news people need to hear and they're, they're sitting in the fire burning and we're like, no, no, no. No s'mores for you. Come on, I got something great you got to experience. He said he's a burning stick snatched from the fire. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And then he said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Satan stood to accuse Joshua. 
But the angel said, no, 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 no. You've been convicted. We can see from the filthy clothes you're wearing. But here's what I'm going to do. Instead of condemn you, I'm going to convert you. I'm going to make you brand new. I'm going to take the filthy clothes off of you and put brand new clothes on you. In the same way, you and I have been convicted by our sin, but thank God we have a Savior who stands on our side and he says, I've come to wash your sin away. I've come to give you brand new garments. I've come to trade your life with my life so that you could be freed and you could be raised to true life. This is what Jesus does for each and every one of us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you're a Christian this morning you're a Christian because you are convicted and chose the path of conversion and you don't need to live in condemnation anymore It's time to forgive yourself for that thing that happened three years ago because you're now new. It's time to forgive yourself for your past because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For some of you, it's time for you to move past what you did last night because there is now no condemnation in Christ. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Now leave your life of sin. Let his grace cover you, wash you, and make you brand new. And for some of you today, you've never made the decision to accept Christ as your savior, to say yes to him, and to be baptized into him. If that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity today, right now, right this moment, to say, God, I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. And I want to give you my life. I want to follow you and I want to be baptized into you. When you came in, you received a note card and at the bottom of that note card is a connect card. At the bottom of that card, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ as my savior and be baptized into him. If you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today to allow the conviction you feel to lead to conversion, not condemnation. Fill out that card, drop it off at any of the black tables that we have. We got some people there who would love to talk to you about the decision that you made and get you to be ready, uh, get you ready to be baptized next month. But for those of you who have made the decision, can I just remind you today that there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You do not have to live in the shadow of your past. You do not have to stay a victim of the sin that you're in right now because you've been set free. And every week we remind ourselves of this truth. In a moment, members from our VIP team are going to come and they're going to pass out trays among the rows. In those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. And the top cup has some juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven, so that we could no longer be condemned. I want to invite you to take communion as it's passed, anytime as it's passed. And let it be a reminder to you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been made free, and you are now new. And it's time to live it. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the way that you love us. If there's anyone here today who's struggling with a choice they've made, 
with the life they're living, with the things of their past. I pray that today would be the day that you remind them you have been set free, you have been made now new. And if there's anyone here who's never made that decision, I pray that today would be the day where you convict them, ultimately to lead them to conversion, to be changed, radically altered, made brand new. God, thank you that you don't refurbish us. Thank you that you don't put us back together, but you make us completely, utterly brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you two questions as we close. The first question is, what is God saying to you through this sermon? Because I believe God has a message for each and every one of you. And so the question is, what is he saying to you? And the follow-up question is, what are you going to do about it? Because you're changed not by the word that you hear, but by the word that you do. And I believe that God has a word to speak to each and every one of you. And then he wants you to do something about it. It's time to live free. It's time to overcome. It's time to leave the pain of the past behind and move forward. So what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.